And next, second, we're going to look at the flood. And third, we're going to look at the post-flood world, um, including how mankind dispersed out into the world. And then we're going to begin a study and look at the call of Abraham and how, how God chose a people to eventually bring our Savior, Jesus Christ, through. So that's the, what we're going to be doing in the next few weeks. Uh, actually, the next few times I bring the message to you. But today we're going to look at Genesis 4, especially, and parts of Genesis 5. And this is a pre-flood world. So, and I read some of it there today, and um, I want to I just look at this. We see that Cain was born, and then Abel was born. And we see, we see that Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the first, uh, sorry, he brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So why? Why did he have no regard for, for Cain's offering? And many people say that it was because of the blood offering that Abel would have had to, to bring. But I think in the text we can see that there was much more than that, the reason that, that God had uh, regard for Abel and not for Cain. Um, it says that Cain brought an offering. But it says that Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And that's important because, because we see the firstborn. And we see that in scripture in, in many places. And so let's, let's look at a few places. Let's, uh, Numbers 3.13. Turn there with me. The Lord, it, it, he says, For all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I consecrated for my own all the firstborn in Israel, both men and a beast, and they shall be mine. I am the Lord. So we see here that Abel knew that he had to bring the firstborn, the first of his flock, even though this law that we're reading here in Numbers was given many, many, thousands of years later, actually. But Abel knew that he had to bring something special to the Lord. We look also in, in Leviticus, in Leviticus 7. Leviticus 7, 1 to 4. This is the law of the guilt offering. It is most holy. In the place where they kill the burnt offering, they shall kill the guilt offering. It is, and its blood shall be thrown against the sides of the altar, and all its fat shall be offered. The tail fat, 
the fat that covers the entrails, the two kidneys, with the fat that is in them, at the loins. So here's a guilt offering, and it's, a, it, it's the fat of the land. And again, Abel knew that he had to bring the fat portions because that's what the Lord desires for the guilt offering. And um, in, in, in Psalm 66, Psalm 66, 15, he says, I will offer you burnt offerings of fattened animals. With the smoke of the sacrifice of rams, I will make an offering of bulls and goats. So here we're to bring fattened animals. We're not to bring anything else. And one other place in scripture, well, there's lots of other places in scripture where God had no regard for their offering. In fact, one time he said, don't even bring your offering to me. I'm not even going to accept it. But here, one place in Malachi, and it's in Malachi 1, 6 to 8. I just want to read a, a, short, uh, a short passage. It says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master, if then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food on my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is this not evil? And when you offer those that are lame and sick, is this not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you and show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? So what they were doing here was they were bringing, they were bringing blind sacrifices, not first fruits. They were bringing, they were bringing sick animals. And the Lord says they're despising. It, it, the Lord sees us as despised. And the Lord's table is despised. So we look here also in Exodus twenty three, nineteen. And this is the fruits of the ground that we see here. Exodus 23. The best of the first fruits of the ground you shall bring into the house of your God. So again, here we see first fruits. And this is of the ground. So this is not just animal offering. This is first fruits of the ground. And Christ is actually called first fruits in the Bible. And the reason is, is because he gave the best. He gave himself perfect holy sacrifice for us. And so he's called first fruits. In the Bible, it does not say of Cain that he offered first fruits. It, it's that he offered some of his produce. But it does say 
of Abel that he offered his first fruits. He offered the best. He offered his first and he offered the fat of the, the animals. So the difference there is the heart. God wants our heart. Don't bring an offering if it's not your heart because God has no regard for, for that. Whatever we offer, it needs to be our best. If God is not first, then what we offer will not be first. And we need to give what God will ever regard for, what, whatever we do. Our, our offerings sometimes are not only money offerings, but they're, they're our time, they're our commitment to God. So give what God will ever regard for. And that's that's what I think this passage here in Genesis is actually telling us, is that uh, the first part of it anyway, that, that we need to give our best. And Cain didn't give his best. In fact, he told Cain here, he says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And what did Cain do? As we see, he, he went and murdered his brother who was faithful. So, so we see that he failed... Um, he failed miserably there. But you see, we, we, let's go on here in Genesis 4, and we see that, that even, after, even after Cain murdered his brother, God still showed him grace. In fact, we see in, um, in, in Genesis 4:15 that God put a mark on Cain to protect him from any kind of a vengeance that was to come. So, so God actually protected Cain even after the murder. Now we go down to Genesis 4.17 and there's, a, there's an interesting verse. Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. So, so where did Cain get his wife? That's a question a lot of people ask. And um, Dr. Henry Morris shows in the Genesis record that at least one marriage had to be brother and sister. And Genesis 5, 4, if you just look over, it said, that Adam had other sons and daughters over a period of 800 years after he had uh, his other son, Seth, but he had other sons and daughters. So Cain's wife could have been his sister, but even in that, there could have been many, many years between them. 40 or 50 years would not be a big deal if it was, if you lived 900 years. But she also could have been his first, second, third cousin, or even a distant relative by this time, because we'll look later on how fast population can actually increase. And this is actually even from two people. But let's look at the commands that God gave to to increase 
So let's go to Genesis 1, 28. God tells Adam and Eve, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. So God told them in 128, fill the earth. And he's talking to two people. And then if we look over in Genesis 3:20, which is just a page over, it says the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. So, so here we see be fruitful and multiply, and she was the mother of all living. You have to remember that these were two perfectly created people. There was no genetic disease at that time, and they lived in a world that was still paradise. There was, it, it was, a, it was a, a paradise world with no defects. So much later, the command was given not to marry close relatives, but this was given in Leviticus 18, which again was thousands of years later. But by this time, this was given for a multitude of reasons. But one of the reasons would have been it was a harsh world by this time, and that there were genetic defects that could be spread through close family units. And so, but this was not the case then, and it was not even the case up, up to the time of Abraham, because we can see in Genesis 20, 12, that Sarah was actually Abraham's half-sister and also his wife, Genesis 20, 12. Besides, she is, she is in, because he lied to Abimelech here that she was his sister so that he wouldn't do any harm to Abraham. He lied, but, but he actually told him, he says, besides, she actually is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. So, so there's a close family relative. We also look over in uh, Genesis 28, 1 and 2. I know we're going to a lot of scripture, but I just want to show you that some, some of the ways that the, this population would have increased. Um, Genesis 28, 1 and 2, that we see that Leah and Rachel were Jacob's first cousins. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aran, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. So both Rachel and Leah were, were Jacob's first cousins. Um, the next question is, how fast can a population increase from two people? And again, we're looking today at the pre-flood world. What happened in this pre-flood world? Because as we'll look 
in messages following this, we'll look at the flood and how population had increased many, many fold. But I'm just going to show you here how populations can, can actually increase. Um, the thing about it is, is that there, there are many models, Christian and secular, that model population growth. But we really don't have to leave the Bible for a very good model of population growth. We see in Genesis and Exodus how fast a people can increase. And I want you to look at Genesis 46, 26 and 27 with me. Oh, sorry, it's not Genesis. That's the one I just read. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It's Exodus 12, 40 and 42. Actually, that's not even it. It actually, yeah, sorry, it actually is Genesis 46. Hmm. You guys won't believe anything I say here before long. Genesis 46, 26 and 27, I'm sorry. All the persons belonging to Jacob who came into e Egypt who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's sons' wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70 people. So we see that Israel at this time was 70 people. And they came into, and they grew from just, just a couple, a couple of generations later, because even Isaac, and, and Rebecca only had two children. And so, so this is what our, our population can grow. It's now it's 72 people and they came into Egypt. So now turn with me to Exodus 12. Exodus 12, 40 to 42. So we see, we get a look at everything now, 430 years later. After they came into Egypt, this is 430 years later, they're still in Egypt, but God's about to bring them out of Egypt. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the host of heaven went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So that the same night, so this same night is a night of watching, kept by the Lord, by all the people of Israel throughout all their generations. So, so again, the Lord is protecting Israel divinely here, and it's 430 years later. And if we look at a couple of verses earlier to that, we see how many people were, were how, how big Israel had grown by this time. And that is Exodus 12, 37. And 
And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. So by this time, 430 years later, when the people of Israel were about to go out of Egypt, the men alone were 600,000 people. Now, if the women were about equal, that would make 1.2 million adults. Now, conservatively, if everybody only had two children, that would actually make 2.4 million people. And that's conservative. But that's how fast Israel had grown in 430 years. So, so we see in the Bible how fast populations actually do grow. So now we can go back to Genesis 4. These people now were two people. And also these people, you notice, and we see that in Genesis, um, in Genesis 5, where we see how long people lived back then. The average age was probably close to 900 years. And so the people of Israel at that time did not live 900 years, but these people did. So you can see the population, how fast it could grow, especially if people lived 900 years. So the narrative given in Genesis 4 and 5 is not that hard to believe. Again, so now we have to look at the problem that people have with this. So why do so few people believe that the Genesis account, why, why do there so few people, few people believe in the Genesis account? They believe it's just silly stories put together but this is God's word. This is what God said. I believe the problem is that people have been taught evolution as fact their whole lives. They know the evolutionary theory so that when you go and, and actually open the word of God and read it, it's actually foolishness. Instead of learning what God said, we learn what a, host, what a hostile people, hostile to God, tells us what to believe. We need, we need to teach the Bible because this is what God said. And that's all I can give you is what God said. I don't care if it sounds like foolishness and I don't care if it goes totally against everything that you're being taught today. What you're being taught today is a lie. It's, it's hostile to God. Even if we're foolish, 
I don't mind being foolish. I don't. I don't care if you think I'm foolish. I don't care if anybody thinks I'm foolish. I'm going to tell you what the word of God said. And you can make the decision. There's another place where where the Bible says this will be foolishness. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul says the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. This is foolishness. When we preach the Bible, when we preach the salvation of Jesus Christ, it's foolishness to the world. So let's turn to, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 1. One eighteen, it says, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. Then we go down to verse 24. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, which means us, Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So we have to be very discerning about who we listen to. Be careful when the world tells you that something is foolish. When God tells you his wisdom. It it comes down again who we're going to believe. Do you believe what a godless world tells you? Or do you believe what God said? Paul also says over in in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2, 1. Just probably the same page that you're on. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you testimony the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. This isn't our lofty speech. And it's not our wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Nothing. That's all Paul came. So does this mean that Paul only ever said one thing? No. It means that everything he said was based on that. Christ and him crucified. And that's everything we base our sermons on. That's what we base on our, our teachings on in this church. Christ and him crucified. And it will be foolishness to the world. <clears throat> but it will be wisdom in the sight of God. So again, it's what you believe. We have to be careful on who we believe and what we believe. Because it has eternal consequences. And that's what God is teaching us in his word. He is teaching us that you need to listen to what I'm saying. Because as we learned from Genesis 1, 2, and 3, man failed. Adam rebelled in the garden. Adam rebelled. 
He did not want to hear what God had to say, so he rebelled, and sin and death came in. That's Romans 5, 12. Sin and death entered in through Adam, and now the remedy for that is Christ, because Christ, being God in the flesh, took on human flesh and came to this world, and it's foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is to those who are called, it is the wisdom and the power of God. And me, I'll stand on the wisdom and power of God any time over the wisdom of man. So let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, I thank you that you, you didn't reveal these things to the, to the wise you didn't. You revealed these things to babes like me. And the only reason we can say this is we open your word. We just, we open your word and we believe what you said. And we need to get back to the word, back to the Bible, because it's all here. The power of salvation, your power. And I thank you for revealing that to us, Lord. And I thank you for revealing that to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat>